0: This podcast contains graphic content and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Katie. And you're listening to Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. Merlot. Back once again with a hey. late episode. <laughs> it's us. I, I just don't even. It's just how we are. I don't even. I don't even have excuses anymore. I just no. Well, I kind of do. Right. I moved into a a new apartment and had to move all my shit. She so did. I have an excuse. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we can jump right in. Yeah. I'm jumping in pretty quick today. Yeah. I uh, don't know what your episode is, so I'm going in blind here. Yeah. Um. This was one that I stumbled upon. Because I, I wanted to do something local. Because I've been working on another case, but it's going to take a while. So it's not ready yet. And so I found something really local. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in Kingsport. Um, But it was a, like a few years ago. So we're safe now. We're fine. But I am going to cover Betty Sue Short. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah, mm-hmm. Betty Sue Short was born on February the 20th, 1946 to her parents Walter and Bareth Waits. Betty had three brothers, Ray, Frank, and Willard, and three sisters, Mamalee, Norma, and Jody. She was raised in Fall Branch, Tennessee, but moved to Kingsport, Tennessee, and lived right off of Rock Springs Road on Barnett Drive, I believe was the name of the street. Betty and her husband divorced in the earlier years of their marriage. At that point, Betty wanted only one thing, to focus on her children living the best life that they could. Betty had two children. She had a son named Scott and a daughter named Robin. When Betty was 65 years old, she developed pretty bad neuropathy due to her diabetes, which is a pretty common thing to happen. So her son moved in with her after he was released from prison. So it was kind of like a kill two birds with one stone. He didn't really have a place to go after he was released from prison. And she needed somebody to be with her in case she fell or something like that. Yeah. yeah. On October the 16th in 2011, Scott arrived and entered their home. It was inside the house that Scott made an unfortunate and horrific discovery. Scott found his mother, Betty Sue Short, had been beaten and bludgeoned to death. Betty had severe blunt force trauma to the right side of her head. Investigators arrived on the scene to find that Betty's head had been covered with a sheet. At this time, they didn't know if Scott had done it or if the murderer had done it. Come to find out, the murderer had done it. Betty was sat upright on the couch, which indicated that there was no forced entry. Betty seemed as if she had let in a friend or an acquaintance, sat on the couch to speak with her company, and unknowingly was sitting right across from her murderer. You know, those are like the most terrifying circumstances for me. I know you just let someone in that you know. Yeah. It's not like someone's breaking in and, you know, you're in fight or flight mode. Yeah. It's where your instincts are kicking in. You're letting someone in and you're perfectly calm and... Comfortable, Yeah. Then it turns it into be... They're going to take your life. Yeah. That's just... Which goes back to what Crime Junkie always says, which is, you don't know anybody. You don't. You don't know anybody. No. You don't. And that's that's really scary, Mm -hmm. you know? Upon further investigation, investigators noticed that there had been nothing stolen from the home, so robbery as the motive was off the table at this time. They also noted that the thermostat had been turned down to a curiously low temperature for the time of year. It was in October and it was like down in the low sixties, I believe, when they found it. So, I don't. I know no single old person that's going to have their thermostat in the sixties anytime, anytime. Yeah, but especially in colder months. Yeah, that is that's odd. After a discussion with Betty's son Scott, investigators were told that there was actually a toolbox with three firearms inside of it missing from his bedroom. Investigators now have their first person of interest to try to clear which was Betty's son, Scott. This is very normal. He was the person that found her. He's also the person that lives with her. Got to look at him first. Oh, of course, yeah. At the time of the murder, Scott reported that he was at his girlfriend's house. This was later confirmed by his girlfriend and her daughter. Investigators then moved on to look for further suspects. After police spoke with neighbors, police heard of a new name, Jonathan Slimp. Jonathan Slimp was reported to be a family friend and police were told he oftentimes came and visited Betty, Witnesses also told police that Slimp was seen at Betty's house the previous night on October 15th, 2011. Investigators were able to find Jonathan Slimp and asked him to come in for questioning. Jonathan said his friendship with Betty was not exactly that of a friendship. Slimp claimed that he would give Betty Percocets and she would give him Valium in exchange. So they were just kind of swapping drugs, he says. Slimp told police that he was there doing just that on October the 15th and was gone within 15 minutes of his arrival. Slim claimed that he was home that night at around 9.15 p.m. Slim's ex-wife, whom he was still living with, stated that that was not true. She said that he was not home until around 10.30 that night. She also explained to police that she had seen Slim with a gun that was eerily similar to one of those that was found to be missing inside of Betty's home. Betty also kept her controlled drugs in a plastic bag, She did this because her son, Scott, had previously tried to steal her drugs and had stolen them, so she kept them in a plastic bag, and I think she, like, moved them around the house. And Slim had been found to have one just like hers on him when he arrived home to his ex-wife's house on October the 15th. Investigators lacked physical evidence at this point, but they had found similarities between Betty's murder and a murder from 2010. Gary Jones was found in November 2010 in his home, stabbed with his face covered by a coffee table. Gary Jones had been stabbed over 20 times, similar to the overkill of Betty Short. Detectives knew Slimp was their guy. They just had to have more in order to arrest him. Police then involved a man named Chris West. Chris West was in prison on drug charges. It is believed he agreed to help police in exchange for a lesser sentence, which is a pretty common occurrence. Mm Mm-hmm. Chris began hanging out with Jonathan in order to get information from him. And eventually, Jonathan Slimp confessed to Chris that he had, in fact, murdered Betty Sue Short. After he was arrested, trial began shortly afterwards. But they had a few complications. This was a real messy trial in terms of the witnesses being messy. There was the lack of physical evidence, but Slimp's story had several holes and now they had a confession. So you would think it's going to go smooth sailing. It never does. Nope. At one point during the trial, witnesses that were set to take the stand were discovered discussing their statements with one another. The judge, James Goodwin, heard word of this, had to sit all of them down and explain to them that they could not do this, again, just as he had before trial, and told them that they would be taken to jail if they were caught doing this again. That does not surprise me at all, though. Mm-mm. No. To be honest. Like, no, around it didn't here, One thing we're gonna do. We're gonna talk. We're gonna talk. We, go, we are gonna talk. We Yep. And uh, yeah, I could just see that so easily. Just, so. just sitting mm-hmm. in the On room, the front porch. Just, yep. Waiting to yep. get called. Mm-hmm. Talking about each other's statements. hmm Yeah. What are you going to say? But what are you going to say? What are you going to say? We got to line this shit up. Yeah. <laughs> As for the stolen guns that Scott had told police about, those were found in a red toolbox that was still in Scott's room. This raised the court's eyebrows on Scott now. So, we're going to add even more mess. Even though we're trying this guy for the murder, now Scott's made himself look sus. It's yeah. a lie. And that doesn't really help, I would think, wouldn't help the defense that much. Yeah. Well, and no, it not help the defense. It wouldn't help prosecution. Yeah. Because now it's like, well, if you have suspicions about someone else, then why are you, why are you trying, trying him? Trying him, you yeah. know? Yeah. It And, the, okay, that particular section it doesn't add up here in a few minutes when you hear one of the testimonies of a witness it just doesn't add up to me and i have questions okay but we'll discuss those at the end scott was later cleared again the next day in court by his girlfriend and her daughter they both testified in the courtroom that scott had slept on their couch all night they had gone to the food city that was close by rented some movies and after watching the movies everyone went to bed for the night but Scott always slept on the couch because he and his girlfriend were not married. <clears throat> bullshit. I, I call such bullshit. I do too. <laughs> like, no. 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 That's bullshit. But like, it sounds great in court. Sure, but not believable whatsoever. I mean, in theory, it sounds nice. But um, probably not true. It's actually not that great in, in a alibi sort of way. Because it's like, you know that's bullshit. Well, that, but also like he sleeps on the couch, but you go to bed. So how do you know he was there if he wasn't? She's got her reasons. Oh, okay. She's got her reasons. Okay. Both Scott's girlfriend and her daughter believed that Scott was on the couch asleep the entire night and testified to this. Scott's girlfriend said she knew he had to be on the couch all night because if anyone enters or exits the doors in the home, her dog will bark and it would have woken her up. As someone who was a dog owner, and as many dog owners know, if a flea takes flight in China and your dog is in America, they hear that shit and they will bark. If a homeless man clears his throat in Europe, your dog fucking hears it. So if she really do have a dog, I believe that. Unless it's like super old and decrepit and like can't hear or see anymore. I don't have the details on the dog, but I understand that. Right, no, I get that. That's a decent reason to say you would have woken up. Yeah, I mean, I get that, but I still don't believe the couch scenario I don't believe any, the couch to, scenario to begin either. with, so. I don't believe the couch either, but okay. that I can understand. Yeah. Furthermore, Jonathan Slim's ex-wife had thrown a party for her son the night of October the 15th. Blake England, who was in attendance to this party, testified in court that he saw Slim come home at around 1030 to 1045, which lines up with what Slimp's ex wife told police the time that he came. He said that Slimp went straight into the basement. About 10 minutes later, he came upstairs and showed off a gun. The gun that he showed was a 1911 model and was wrapped in a cloth. This so happened to be one of the reported missing firearm models from Short's home. Interesting. Mm hmm. Blake also said Slimp had shown him a plastic bag that had lure tabs inside. Unfortunately for Blake, Blake admitted on the stand to being drunk when he had this interaction with Slim that night. So Oof. this made his testimony a little rocky and a little untrustworthy. Well, yeah. Because your judgment is not 100% and your memory is also not 100%. Putting him on the stand was a risk, yeah, to be it honest. Was. It was, for sure. But despite all of the issues during trial, Jonathan Slimp was found guilty of second degree and first degree murder. And also, especially aggravated robbery in September of 2015. Slimp was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after he had served at least 51 years. In October of 2015, Slimp pled guilty to the murder of Gary Jones from 2010 and was given another life sentence. Prison records indicate, though, that Jonathan Slimp has since died. The cause of his death was never made public nor the exact date of his death huh yeah interesting it's real weird yeah thoughts it seems very cut and dry Mm -hmm. but my only question is with the gun and like i don't know like when police found the toolbox with the guns inside that Mm -hmm. scott had told them was missing i couldn't find a date on when they found it just the reports that they had But with that model gun, I mean, that would be like an older gun, probably not a lot of people have a gun still from 1911. A 1911 model doesn't say specifically, right? But how and he was drunk, yeah, so it's not a thousand percent. But if that's true, how did Jonathan Slimp have it the night of the murder and then it was found though? in that toolbox in scott's room that's what i'm thinking later yeah. i i, I want to choose my words carefully mm-hmm. because obviously this is a very local case and some of these people these people are all still alive. All alive yeah some of them yeah um it is very fishy suspicious concerning i don't know how many words i can right. <laughs> use um it's very strange it is and i just don't think they i mean maybe i'm wrong doubt it but maybe i'm wrong <laughs> and but it feels like to me that they didn't turn over every leaf mhm or maybe they did but they didn't look at it
1: mm-hmm. hard enough
0: mm-hmm. you know um because there are still some questions mm-hmm. and i just think that maybe i'm not saying he's not guilty mm-hmm. right i'm not saying that um but is he the only one right. that was involved? And to me, it was like, is if this question. was a drug exchange... Gone bad? Gone bad type of situation. Slimp, obviously, is, you know, dealing and in, in trading drugs. It's reported that Betty Sue Short is. Her son was in prison. I don't know if it was drug charges, but it was, you know, reported that he had stolen drugs from her, from Betty before... Like, it's it's just a, it's just a tangle web mm-hmm. that I think there's motive mm-hmm. to go around, mm-hmm. you know? I have no doubt that we got the guy that killed her. Right. And the guy that also murdered Gary Jones in 2010. Yeah, because, like, covering the face is very... Yeah, it's an odd thing to do. It's a very, yeah, and it's like a particular MO, you know, like... yeah. So it's a pattern that he's establishing. Yeah. So I so yeah, but I just don't know if we have the whole entire story. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, I can agree with that. Yeah. So this was a, a short one, but still leaves you with some questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's very local. Very local. Probably pass them in the Walmart, to be honest. Shit, we buy. Yeah. That's how close it is. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. They well, probably went to this food city line right here. <laughs> Different movies, probably. (laughs) No, seriously. I mean, that's like, truth be told, though, it was probably that food city. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, that's a good case, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my next one, mine is kind of international. It's going to be over international waters. It's going to be over international waters. I was like, that was a strange statement. Mine's kind of international. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, kind of. So I know what she's doing, so I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's um it's one of those cases where there's a lot of questions. You are just left Yeah. Reeling. Get your damn notebook out and just start writing your questions down because yeah. you're gonna have one like every two seconds. Mm-hmm. It's um it's also beyond frustrating. Very frustrating. <laughs> it just like everything in it you're yeah. like, what the F? What the F? What the F? Like Yeah. So, um, It's also one of my, you know, I always say, like, when I did the Delphi case Mm -hmm. or, um, hell, when I did Lily Lid, Mm -hmm. um, the very first case we did, and Delphi and a couple others, you know, I have my list of cases that stick with me. This is one of them. Mm -hmm. This is one of those cases. And I think eventually we are going to do the Long Island serial killer. Yeah. That's we been in the news that. lately, so we're I think we're gonna do that one. Yeah. But anyways, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. We'd like to thank Mikey Kinley for audio and editing, and our friend Avelyn Uliberry for our cover art. Make sure to like and follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is M three podcast and you can find us on facebook under the name of our podcast which is murder mayhem and merlot